Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. We're here to give you the facts so you can form your own opinion. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. Today, we're taking a closer look at the school board endorsement landscape. And back by popular demand, mostly by our producers, is staff writer Doug Kronizel. What's up, Doug? Hello, Victoria. It's good to have you back. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. Good to be back. Lots to talk about. So, Doug, you've been following school board elections for a few years now, and recently Ballotpedia has zeroed in on endorsements. So can you give us a little lay of the land as to why we are putting this effort into tracking endorsements? Of course, a lot of conversation around Ballotpedia got started once we knew we'd be providing comprehensive election coverage, school boards in particular, but all elections in some states in 10 states this year, Colorado, Kansas, Minnesota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. That's a lot of additional work because, I mean, a regular scope is the top 100 cities and capitals and then the school districts in those cities. So you guys are adding a lot to your plate. Exactly. We have somewhere between 400 and 500 school districts we cover just because of how large they are. But there are 13,000 plus school districts in the country. So even though we're just looking at 10 states... That's going to be thousands of districts that we're adding to the roster. And all of this is going to appear on our website, right? All be on our website where candidates can submit a candidate connection survey. They'll all be on our sample ballot tool. So at the outset, our goal was to get this information to our readers, to voters, so they can be aware of who's on their ballot all the way top to bottom. And how do endorsements fit into this picture? Well, we thought to ourselves, great, we have the elections, we have the candidates, but how do we help voters decide who they want to support? It's one thing to know who's on your ballot. That's a great start. But we want readers to be able to learn enough so that they can confidently vote for the candidate who aligns with their interests. So that's where the endorsements come in. Right. And for our listeners who don't know, most school board races are nonpartisan. So the regular party labels like Democratic and Republican aren't going to be there to indicate to voters what candidates really stand for. Exactly. But groups and individuals will still make endorsements in these races, sometimes even the parties themselves. So we have been working hard at identifying what we call descriptive endorsements. Descriptive endorsements. What does that mean? Well, we're looking for endorsements from groups or individuals who have a very clear mission, a very clear agenda. For example, if a local cafe owner endorsed a school board candidate, it's not really clear what that endorsement means. But if the local Democratic Party endorsed a candidate, then that would give you a better idea of what that candidate stands for. I see. So the goal here is to use this information. I mean, there are plenty of endorsements flying around every election cycle and put it on our website so readers can get that context. Exactly. And another really big reason we wanted to start tracking these endorsements more closely has to do with another trend that we've been seeing over the past few years. Back in 2021, that's when we noticed a huge spike in school board recall efforts. We started tracking conflict elections. Yes, we had you on here a few times talking about that research. You were tracking school board elections where hot button issues were coming up, correct? Yeah, things like critical race theory, gender identity, medical decisions in schools. And back in 2021, candidates were making their stances known very explicitly. It was uncommon to see people beating around the bush. They were just tackling these topics head on. The way you're talking about it makes me think it's changed. Oh, it most definitely did. Already starting in early last year, we saw candidates start to kind of muddy their language a little bit. So rather than very explicitly saying, I oppose critical race theory or I support diversity and equity in curriculum, we started to see more vague statements, things like 
parents' rights or well-rounded curricula. Two people could say they support those things, but have two very different meanings from one another. So it became more difficult to identify those sorts of conflicts or at least identify, you know, candidate stances on those topics. Exactly. And and I understand that a candidate might look at their electorate and sort of tailor their message in that respect, but it made our work a little bit more difficult. The number of winning candidates whose stances we were flagging as unclear grew every time we would analyze these election results. But at the same time, we noticed something very interesting. As candidates were becoming and beginning to moderate their language a little bit, you had a slew of organizations and individuals really leaning into these issues and into these school board races. And they most definitely were not moderating themselves. So rather than looking at the candidates and getting their stances, we are instead looking at the endorsers who are much more explicit in what they say and think and using those endorsements to get a better idea of where these candidates actually stand. Yeah, exactly. I, You know, it's, it's to kind of resting on the assumption that a group would only ever endorse a candidate who they felt aligned with their interests. And if the group's telling us what their interests are and that they support this candidate, then we're going to give that information to the readers so that they're able to make that connection as well. And and don't get me wrong, we've been keeping an eye out for these endorsements for a while, but now we're really focused on not only standardizing how we capture this information, but also finding new ways to share that information with readers. And are there any trends that we're noticing as we look at this information? One really interesting one that we are now tracking for a second year is state executives. So governors, attorneys general, endorsing school board candidates. Didn't Governor Ron DeSantis endorse a bunch of school board candidates last fall in 2022? He did. And and shortly thereafter, so did his opponent, Charlie Crist. And actually, earlier in the year, in 2022, Rebecca Cleefish, Wisconsin's former lieutenant governor who was running for governor, also endorsed a big slate of school board candidates. All this is to say that these endorsements felt different. Different how? Well, typically when an individual makes an endorsement, like an elected official or another candidate, they usually leave it up to the endorsee, so the endorsed school board candidate in this example, to promote that. But with Cleefish and DeSantis and Christ and even more later on, it was the endorsers, those individuals who were making the endorsements, who really made a big deal about it. Okay, I see. I think I even remember DeSantis actually releasing an educational platform that touched on a lot of these hot button issues and opened the door for candidates to sort of sign a pledge to support them. Yeah, exactly. And once he made his picks, rather than leaving it up to the candidates to go out and say, Ron DeSantis endorsed me, he was the one who kind of had a media blast about it and and put that information out there and said, I'm endorsing these candidates. Here's my list. And I'm getting that information out into the public. So it seems like candidates and politicians at all levels of government are sort of stepping into those school board races in a way we haven't really seen before. I think it has a lot to do with the conversations that are happening at the school board level. First, there was a lot of activity about COVID, mass requirements, vaccines, and then we saw critical race theory and diversity plans pop up. And now more recently, it's been issues relating to sex and gender and books and libraries. All these issues are related to schools, yes, in that they have to do with things that happen in schools. But they also seem to be part of larger cultural conversations that aren't necessarily tethered to schools themselves. Interesting. And have we seen this trend continue in 2023? We have. Oklahoma's superintendent of public instruction, Ryan Walters, a Republican, made some endorsements there. And Arkansas's Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, another Republican, also endorsed two incumbents in a district just north of Little Rock. And how about with Democrats? Are they also stepping into these races? 
They are, sort of. In Illinois, Governor J.B. Pritzker made a media blast earlier this year as he donated half a million dollars to the state Democratic Party for the express purpose of supporting candidates running against, quote, a lot of extreme right-wing candidates, end quote. But Pritzker didn't really name names. He didn't endorse any candidates or he didn't say who to vote against. He just stepped into the conversation in a slightly different way. And what other trends have we been seeing? We've got more politicians and higher levels of government looking at school board races, but what else? We've seen a lot of groups pop up over the past few years with a laser focus on school board elections and issues. The ones that come up most often is Moms for Liberty. That's a conservative group that has a bunch of state and county level affiliates across the country. But you've also got the 1776 Project PAC. That's been pretty active, too. And 1776 Project Pact is also a conservative group. So what about liberal organizations? Have we seen anything similar to these new national conservative groups on the other side of the aisle? Not really. We've seen some regional and local groups pop up, but nothing at the same scale and activity as those larger conservative groups we were just talking about. Really, on the liberal side, we've seen existing groups sort of occupying that space. So local or statewide teachers unions, uh, Democratic Party affiliates. Those are generally the most active groups on that side. And I know we want to talk a bit about the specifics of what we saw in Oklahoma and Wisconsin. But before we get to that, I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but why the focus on these school board elections? It is a very common, but a very good question. Like I mentioned before, I think part of it has to do with how this level of government fits into larger messages and cultural conversations happening right now. In that sense, school boards serve as sort of the natural venue to talk about things like how to approach teaching about gender identity or topics like that. Right. If Democrats or Republicans are saying X, Y, Z about kids and looping that into their messaging and platforms, it would make sense for them to actually lean into these races a bit. Exactly. And you bring up another good point, and that's that parties are always talking about their benches. Who's on the bench? It's usually used to refer to people at lower levels of government who might run for higher levels of government in the future. Parties always want to keep cycling people into and off of their benches for for this purpose. So school boards represent a way to fill out that bench a bit more and give these candidates experience running for office. They do. And and it seems kind of new in that front. I feel like in the in the past, kind of the bench topped out at maybe like a mayor, usually state legislature. But we're kind of yeah stretching our way down down the ballot a little bit. And I don't think it's that case entirely across the board. There definitely are still sleepy school board elections or ones where nobody really files and somebody just gets on. But there are also more energized boards. And I wouldn't be surprised if the people we see getting elected in those races are running for things like state legislature, Congress, and governorships in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And before we jump into some of your recent findings, I wanted to ask, what are the issues at play in school board elections right now? You mentioned COVID was a big one a few years ago, but then we started seeing conversations about race. So where do things stand today? Yeah, COVID was a big one when districts were still reopening, mask requirements, things like that. Once schools opened back up, it sort of fell to the side. And then we started to hear about critical race theory. And that's still coming up, but it was sort of eclipsed by the topic of sex and gender in schools. So books and libraries, sexual education curricula, who can participate in sports, things like that. Sure. And we've been seeing lots of legislation at the state level really touching on that last topic quite a bit this year. We have, but if I had to put my finger on where the conversation might head next, I'd say school safety. So whether schools should have in-house police officers, whether teachers should be armed, things like that seem to be bubbling up a bit. But another trend, things might start heading back to more schooly topics, especially academic achievement. 
schooly. Is that a word? It's it's to get the you know, get the idea across, get the idea yes, out yeah. there. So things like test scores, reading levels, proficiencies are going to come back in the conversation. Yeah, see, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and we sort of saw the COVID conversation turn into that a bit. Once everything was open, the conversation there changed to how do we deal with COVID learning loss? And now we are a year or two into this new normal and starting to see how it actually affected students. The more we learn about that, the more I think candidates will step up and talk about that and how to address it, because I think it's just going to be something on the minds of voters as we kind of continue to process through what happened. Well, that's something we will definitely be keeping an eye on moving forward. But let's step away from these trends and look at some specifics. You spent a lot of time recently crunching the numbers in Oklahoma and Wisconsin, two of those 10 states with comprehensive school board coverage this year that held elections on April 4th. So let's start with Oklahoma. What did you find there? Unfortunately, there was not an awful lot of endorsement activity in Oklahoma. Of the 556 seats up for election, we only found endorsements in races for eight of those seats. Well, I'm sure you weren't slacking off. So any idea why things were so quiet down in Oklahoma? I'd say the biggest reason would probably be the large number of uncontested seats. So races where only one candidate was running come April 4th. In Oklahoma, those uncontested races are actually just canceled. So the candidates win. They don't even go on a ballot anywhere. And it's pretty uncommon to see endorsements made in races where there really aren't any stakes. When you say large number, what are we talking about? Like half? More than that, actually, right around 80% of all school board seats were uncontested in Oklahoma. So right off the bat, the pool in which we might see endorsements come down the pike became much smaller. Another reason could be the difficulty in monitoring elections in very rural districts. We are all remote at Ballotpedia, so we rely on what we can find on the web. But that makes things more difficult if a town's only newspaper is print only, for example, or if candidates don't make a campaign website because it just makes more sense for them to go door to door. They may have been endorsements in some of those races, but if they're just being shared word of mouth, it's going to be tougher for us to spot them. That makes a lot of sense. Well, then let's let's look over at Wisconsin. There was a lot of energy and activity in the state because in addition to their school board elections, they also had a pretty consequential Supreme Court race. Definitely. There was a lot more coverage of elections up and down the ballot in Wisconsin. What did we find there? So many endorsements. We found more than 1,000 endorsements that went out to 343 candidates because many candidates received more than one endorsement. So much larger than eight. I'm also guessing there are more than a few endorsers making multiple endorsements. Most definitely. Actually, the most prolific endorser in Wisconsin was the state Republican Party, or rather its county level affiliates all grouped together. They made 152 endorsements. Let's round it out. Who were the top five endorsers in Wisconsin? After the GOP, you've got Moms for Liberty and their affiliates with 98 endorsements. And then you've got the state AFL-CIO with 89, teachers unions with 81, and a group called Get Involved Wisconsin with 66. I'll also squeeze in the Democratic Party there too, because they were a close number six with uh, 62 endorsements. I know we touched on the ideological lean of some of these groups earlier. The GOP and Mobs for Liberty are conservative organizations. The unions, so like AFL-CIO and the teachers unions, tend to have a more liberal lean. What about Get Involved Wisconsin? That's another conservative group. They're a sort of voter action group. And on their website, they've got blog posts about materials opposing critical race theory and topics like that elsewhere on their site. So how did those endorse candidates do? 
I'll tell you right now that each of these six groups padded their stats a little bit, either by endorsing candidates who are unopposed or endorsing every multiple candidate in a, in a single race. So there really wasn't a chance that their endorsed candidates would lose. And I'm sure you've sifted through those uncompetitive endorsements, right? Of course I have. And what we see after sorting those out is that the three conservative groups, GOP, Moms for Liberty, Get Involved Wisconsin, they had win rates ranging from 38% for Get Involved to 45% for Moms for Liberty. So looking just at competitive races, more than half of the candidates those groups endorsed ended up losing? Yep. And then with the liberal groups, the Democratic Party, AFL-CIO, teachers unions, they had win rates ranging from 74% for the AFL-CIO to just over 77% for the teachers unions. Interesting. Would you take this to mean the liberal candidates did better overall in Wisconsin? I wouldn't go that far based on these stats alone. That's just telling you how those individual groups did. You know, How good were they at Picking, picking their candidates. It could be the case where uh, you know, one group was picking candidates in very competitive races and the other group was picking candidates in kind of gimme races where the, the lean is in their favor. And we don't know that much detail about these, but we did identify 105 seats up for election that featured competition between candidates who received endorsements from liberal groups and those endorsed by conservative groups. And in those 105 races, 68% of the liberal candidates won compared to 40% of the conservative candidates who are running. It doesn't quite add up to 100% because multi-member districts and things like that. Very interesting. It'll be fun to watch how this plays out, this endorsement engagement across the rest of the 10 states throughout the year. But as always, it's a pleasure having you on the show. We'll have to have you back soon. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. You have a good one. And that's all for this week's episode of On the Ballot. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, or love for Ballotpedia, feel free to send it to us at ontheballot at ballotpedia.org or on Twitter at Ballotpedia. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.